listening to Connection Church's podcast. Hey, glad to see everybody here. Glad you're here. Um, thankful that God is here, that he's faithful. We're two or more gather in his name for his purposes, for the things that uh, he came to earth to do. Um, he's there, and so he's here with us right now. I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to continue today in this series, um, God Gave. Uh, last week we looked at God Gave, and we looked at how God gave himself, and how John chapter 1 was a revealing of Jesus, uh, and who Jesus is, who Jesus um, was then, who he is now, um, Jesus as God. And we looked at how once that revelation comes to us, we are then charged with going and helping others to have that same revelation. Uh, we realize we have a lot in common with John the Baptist, right, other than camel hair and locusts. And so uh, we talked about that this this week, um, we're going to continue that. Uh, if John chapter 1 was where Jesus reveals himself, John chapter 2 is really where Jesus reveals his purpose and what he's come to do. And so we're going to be looking at that uh, in just a second as we continue this. But the first thing I want to do is I do want to encourage you again to be a part of next uh, week's service day. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. Uh, there's going to be, we're going to give out literally hundreds of gifts um, and give out uh, over a thousand meals. And it's always a great day, one of the days we look forward to as a church. Um, and, and so I really hope you'll come and be a part of that. Also, be praying about who you can bring to Christmas services, uh, either 6.30 um, at, uh, on the 23rd or at 5 o'clock on the 24th. And again, we're not only going to tell people the gospel that day, but we're going to show them the gospel uh, through um, a, a video, basically, that we're going to show um, someone's testimony, and it shows how we truly do have hope in Christ at Christmas. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. Hope that you'll invite somebody that bring somebody, bring somebody both nights. You know, just be crazy, right? And uh, bring somebody both nights. It'll be awesome. Um, and so uh, I tell you what, let's jump into the Word. Let's get going. Um, and I want to read to you. We're in John chapter two, as I said, but John chapter two, verse eleven. Let's uh, let's read that verse, and then I want to pray. And then we'll jump in. It says in verse 11 of John chapter 2, This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Let's pray, God. I thank you for today and just the opportunity that we have to worship you, God, that we can know you. God, I thank you that um, you love us, even when we're unlovable, even when we fall short. God, I thank you that our shortcomings don't have to be a handicap, but God, they can actually become a platform for strength as you work in and through those in our lives. God, we thank you for um, just your word and how it is living and active. And God, let it come with power in this minute, in this moment, God, in the next few minutes as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something that's been on my heart all morning, a little different, didn't do this at nine, but I want to ask a question, and then I really, literally want to give you an opportunity to answer it. Uh, crowd's down a little bit, college students are gone, so I'm going to put a little pressure on people, but I'd like to ask you this one question. Why are you here today? Like, have you ever just shown up somewhere and you're like, why am I here? Like, when we first moved from our old house, we'd, I've been driving there every day for about 13 years, and sometimes I would find myself going home which wasn't my home, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I here, right? Uh, how about you? Like, why are you here today? What brought you here today? So I'm like literally asking that question. So somebody from this section, why, why are you here today, right? Somebody, come on, come on. It's interactive, interactive time. It's gonna be real quiet. Somebody, just say something. Yes, ma'am. Church keeps you sane. 
And sanity is a good thing. Amen. Well, that's good. Awesome. How about you guys? What about this section? Yes, ma'am. Spiritual nourishments. Well, I hope, I hope you find some, right? Amen. If not, I'm, I apologize from my heart. I'm doing the best I can. I, I truly, sincerely mean that. How about these guys over here? How about y'all? Jesified. That's what I'm talking about. That's right, man. Yes, Jesified. Jesified. How about you guys back here? Back here. Anybody? I'm coming to y'all today. See, y'all ain't sleeping on me back here today because I'm tired of seeing people sleeping back here. So what about this section? Who Back here. Somebody. Who's going to bail out the whole group? Somebody. See, I'm making y'all uncomfortable. I love it. Who said that? Worship. There you go. Good. Good answer. Good answer. Listen, there are no stupid answers, only stupid people who give stupid answers. So no pressure at all. All right. So if you say a stupid answer, don't worry about it. All right. How about this section? How about this group? Anybody? Somebody. Sir? Hungry for Jesus. Amen. Yes. Hungry for Jesus. It's, it's crazy how... Jesus fulfills and satisfies, but you never have enough. Amen. That's good. How about this side? Over here. Who, who over here? Yes. Christ is my life and his church is my life. I love that answer. You can't really love Jesus and not love his church, can you? And he put the church into our life so that we could be nourished, so we could be fed, so we could have more of Jesus. That's awesome. How about over here? Fellowship, perfect, yeah, fellowship, being encouraged by other believers and what they do. I'm, I'm gonna mess these camera guys up. That's what I live for. How about back here in the corner? Missed it? Well, that's awesome. That's really cool, yeah. Well, glad you came back here, yeah. And uh, glad, you, glad you're a part of this fellowship and um, hope you get spiritually nourished today, amen. Do I make y'all nervous when I come over here? I wish I had a handheld. I just like stick it in your faces, right? How about this? Back here. Anybody? Why are you here today? Why are you here today? I couldn't hear. I'm sorry. To receive and spread the love of Jesus. That's good. How about the, the back corner? Last one. Come on. Everybody else has an answer. Pressure's on you guys now. So what, what is it? Why are you here? Why are you here today? What, what brought you here? What made you brave the cold South Georgia weather? Yes, sir? Find a better way to live. Yeah, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so he's, he is the way. He's the way to live. He, he promised that he would give us life and give us life abundantly. And so that's good. Those are good answers. And let me tell you all real quick, and the reason that I think that's been on my heart is because one of the things that God's been putting in my heart is like, why am I here? And here's the thing that I've been thinking about. And, and really just this morning, it's been hitting me. Um, why am I here? Like, one, because I'm the preacher, right? You know, even if I don't want to be here, I got to be here, right? But two, like before I was the preacher, I was there. Before I was the preacher, I was serving. Before I was the preacher, I was doing these things. But why was I do, why, why did I do that? Man, I got to thinking about that. My mouth's really dry. If anybody wants to give me some water, by the way, I would love you for that. But um, the thing I would tell you is that the reason that I'm here, though I don't care if you drank out of it or not, it won't kill me. <laughs> So the reason that I'm here, and see Hope saved my life. That's why they named you Hope. And, and the reason that I'm here, guys, and I want you to understand this, is because I realize that in my life, I, I'm a broken human being. I realize that as a broken person, Jesus came to me 
And, and I was kind of like Humpty Dumpty. Humpty sat on the wall and Humpty had a great fall and somebody came along and, and all the Humpty's, you know, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But here's the thing I found is that Jesus is able to put me back together. That Jesus is able to make me whole. And that's why I'm here today. I'm not here to go through the formalities of it. I, I don't come to worship services even as the preacher just because I got to be there. I'm here because I found a God and I found a man who was able to take my broken life and put it back together. I'm here because even in my imperfection, a perfect God still desired me. I'm here because even when I should be condemned, God offers me righteousness. Even when I should be condemned, he offers me a way to not be judged. Even though I should be condemned, he gives me life. He, he no longer puts his wrath on me because he put his wrath on his son so that I could put my faith in him and no longer experience judgment. He, 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 I come and I do these things because God loves me. And this is what I want you to hear and I want you to understand. I want you to be here because you've had that same revelation. I want you to be here, not because you just show up and you leave and you're like, why, why, did, why, do, we, why do I go, why do I do this? I want you to be here because of what God's done in your life. I want you to be here because you're worshiping the one who's put your life back together. And here's what I can tell you, if you're here today and your life is broken and you're hurting, I'm not telling you that today you say yes to Jesus and everything gets perfect, but I will tell you this, you'll meet the one who can begin to put your life back together piece by piece, step by step. You can meet the one who is perfect and even in your imperfection, he will love you and bring you along and allow you to continue to grow in his love. But does that mean anything to us? Does that matter? I don't know. I mean, that's a serious, that's a question. Why we're having to interact, does it matter? Yes, I hope it does matter. But I think that many times we go through the motions of church because we, we, it really hasn't sunk in what God's done for us. And I stand up here week after week feeling so inadequate to help you get that. So inadequate because I want you to see it. And yet I feel like many times we walk through life with these blinders on. And to be honest with you, what I'm doing right now is just really just trying to share my heart with you as much as I can and let you know, man, like I love you and God loves you and I want you to know that love to heck with going through a religious system that doesn't bring us into a relationship with God. What a great waste of time. What a great um, misconception. What a great misperception of who God is. He's not this God that just gives us a system and then says, good luck. He's a God that literally intervened into our lives, stepped into our place, felt the pain that we've felt. How many of you in this moment right now, if you'd be honest enough, say that there's something in your life you feel a little bit discouraged about? That there's something in your life you feel a little disappointed with? There's something in your life that maybe it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Maybe there's something in your life you feel like literally you're in a place of suffering right now. Even though we could never feel the depths of what Jesus felt on the cross for you right now, maybe it feels like you're in a place where, 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 where you are on in, in your, your cross, on your cross, right? Even though we can't compare it to what Jesus experienced, 
How many of us are in a place where we feel despair, where we feel disappointment, where we feel suffering? Here's the news of, of how good God is and how loving God is. Even though world, the world as God created it has been ravaged by sin and it's just a marred image of what he created, God in his love for us stepped into our world and took on human flesh and went through the suffering that we've, we've experienced and are experiencing. He, can, he, he experienced disappointment. He experienced hurt, even to the point of, of coming to a place where he would weep over the death of a friend experiencing loss and he went through all of these things sharing in our experience so that one day he could give us a greater hope that trumps all of our disappointment all of our discouragement all of the the, the falsehood and the lies of the world he did it so that he could walk in our shoes so that when we do struggle and when we do suffer and when we do have temptation and we wonder can I overcome it when, when our marriage seems to be falling apart when our kids seem to have lost their mind and seem to be going to hell in a handbasket when all of these things take place and we lose our job and we lose we lose a family member and all of these things are taking place we get to this point where we look up and we say I don't know how I'm going to make it through but I know the one who's with me who's going to take me through and so I know I'll get to the other side and that's the God that we have that's the God that we serve that's the God I want you to know that's the God that Jesus is revealing to us that's the God that Jesus is. He's the one who walks with us, who talks with us, who stays with us, who never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's the one who's closer than a friend. He's the one who, who literally puts his spirit in us. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit another counselor, the paraclete, literally meaning another one just like the other one. Everybody say that. We want another one just like the other one. Okay, don't say it. You don't have to. But... But, but this is the reality that another one, just like Jesus, has come. And he's come not just to be beside us, but to be in us. His name is the Holy Spirit. And when we come to faith in him, he resides in us to remind us of who God is and who we are in him. And that's the good news of the gospel. But see, I don't want us to just go through some sort of religious system. I don't want us just to be a church that, that goes through and, and we've got all these ways that we try to clean ourselves up and we've got all these things that we try to do and we've got all this stuff that we, we try to make ourselves look right and we just come along into this religious system and we try to do these religious things but in the end, they're powerless. They're a form of godliness but they have no power to change your life. And the reason they have no power to change your life is because they have no power to change your heart. But when we come to Jesus, he is the one who has the power through the power of the spirit of God to give us a new heart and to give us a new direction. And so we have this opportunity, but it's not through religious system. In John chapter two, this is what we see. We see a people who, who they're going through this religious system. They're just, they're just going through these motions of things. And Jesus comes and he begins to reveal, as I said in John 1, he's revealing all this stuff. He's saying that this is who I am, um, this I'm God. He's revealing himself. And then in John 2, he begins to reveal his purpose and why he came. It's the famous miracle of turning water into wine. I hope that doesn't happen right here. This thing's going to get crunk. <laughs> Didn't have that plan. But, but there's so much this, this misconstrued about this miracle. I mean, I've, I've literally heard people say, you know, well, this is my favorite miracle because it's why I feel it's okay to drink. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's my favorite. Like Jesus raised people from the dead and yet you go back to this being the miracle that makes it okay to drink, right? I'm like, might have a problem. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you don't get help here, get help somewhere kind of thing. 
And we look at this, and I just want to walk through it real quick because this is the thing. I find that we oftentimes are in this, this, this same place where a religious system has taken place of, of, of a relationship with God. And maybe for many of us, we need to come back to this place of coming into this relationship by the means that Jesus gives us. There's three parts to this chapter, and I've already used up almost all of my time, so I don't know if we'll get to all of them or not. But here's the thing I'll tell you, the three parts of this chapter tell us this. It tells us, one, why Jesus came. Um, The first section tells us Jesus' purpose. The second section tells us, as we look at it, Jesus comes in and he begins to cleanse the temple, and it begins to show us the scope of Jesus' work. Who's this for, and what's it? going to do, all right? And then the third section we see, Jesus comes in and and he he begins to be questioned about his authority to do these things. And Jesus says, if you'll destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about a physical temple. He was talking about his own body. And so Jesus begins to show us the means by which he'll accomplish his purposes. And so this all ties neatly together. It looks as if it's three, maybe even four different sections, but it all flows neatly together. And the way John wrote it, he's trying to show us a sign. How many of you, um, you see signs every day, right? How many of you would agree that signs are important, right? Signs are important. I'll tell you some signs that sometimes aren't so important. Church signs, right? Church signs. Anybody ever seen a dumb church sign? I have. And and I found some this week. I wanted to show you a couple of dumb church signs. And and so here's the first dumb church sign that I want to show you. Um, Thou shalt not steal copper from this AC unit, right? (laughs) Evidently they got ripped off. How about this one? We're all about the grace, about that grace, no devil. All right, how about the next one? Bring your sin to the altar and drop it like it's hot. How many of you agree that these signs would just be better blank? Like, right, you know what I'm saying? All right, how about the next one? Mari is not the only place to find your father. That wasn't our sign. I didn't do it. Is there another one or is that it? One more. This church is prayer conditioned. Is that not the most Christianese thing you've ever heard said in your life? Right? And I look at these and I was like, these signs, they kind of point to things, but I don't know. I mean, like I saw one church sign one time. It said, stop, drop, and roll does not work in hell. I was like, yeah, I want to go to that church, you know? Because signs point us to something else. And it's the same thing with this sign. John uses the word sign a lot in his gospel. And the reason he does that is because what he wants us to see is that there's something beyond the sign. There's something that these signs are pointing to. And this sign we're about to to read and about to walk through is is the sign of changing water to wine. But this sign is pointing us to something different. It's pointing us beyond itself. John didn't want the miracles to become the focus. He wanted what the miracles pointed to become the focus. So he used the word sign a lot. They were showing us something. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us something as we go through this book. Um, John chapter two, verse one says this. On the third day, a wedding feast, or on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, 
They have no more wine. The first thing I want to point out is John is very specific that this was on the third day. Now, John from chapter one to chapter two is going through and basically what he's doing is he is taking and and telling us which day on certain things happen. And from the time that he starts marking the days, when this happens, it's on the third day since the last thing he said happened. And that gives us a total of seven days. It's easy to read over that and skip that. But there's something very significant about this. And I want you to see it. There's something very significant about the number seven and about seven days. What is it that seven days makes you think of? Creation, Creation, right? And so there's one thing that it makes us think of. Seven days makes us think of creation. What's another significant thing about the number seven in the Bible? It's the number of perfection. And so it's kind of cool that Jesus says, and he begins to take us back, John's showing us and pointing us back to creation. And it's as if Jesus is saying, and Jesus did this miracle um, when he did it, so that um, we would be able to look at it and say, all right, he's pointing us to creation. What's about to happen? Well, God's about to give us a way to be recreated. All right. It's the number seven. What does that mean? It's going to be a perfect way. What was Jesus? He was the perfect son of God, the perfect way for us to come to him. What is, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And as I read this and as I study this and I look at this, I think it's very significant that the perfect creation would come on the seventh day. And once Jesus has accomplished what we're about to read about in this miracle, he rested. Right now he sits at the right hand of the father and, and, and he's, 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 he's in good shape right now, right? Drained of blood, shed his blood and yet resurrected in his glory. And here's the thing I would tell you is that when we look at this, we need to understand that the perfect creation has come. He made a perfect way for us to come to know the Father and it's not a way or a system of rules and doing the right things to look the right way. It's a system of belief in which we just put our faith in Him and He gives us His righteousness and we begin to become whole because His Spirit begins to work out of us and begins to work from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so there's this act of creation that is taking place. This perfect creation, this Christ who was God in flesh comes and he begins to make a perfect way for us to come to know him. And so we see this taking place. We see this symbolism that God is trying to get us to see. It goes on and it says, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? It's, it's, it, Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. See, Jesus is thinking here about his death, burial, and resurrection. Mary's thinking about, we out of wine, and that's a big deal at a wedding in Jewish days, right? In Israel. Sometimes these feasts would last for weeks. Sometimes these things would last forever. And there were even lawsuits at times where the the bride's family would sue the groom's family because they ran out of food or wine. That's serious. How'd you like to start your marriage on those grounds, Right? And so this was a big deal. And Mary comes to Jesus and she says, we're out of wine. Now, most people believe that Joseph, Jesus's father, had died early in Jesus's life. Jesus was the oldest son. And so Mary looked to Jesus for most of his adult life, probably, is what most people would say. And he looked at to him to be the one who would supply their needs, who would meet their needs. So what does Mary do? She does what she's done probably for years. She comes to Jesus and she says, we're out of wine. What does Jesus do? He says, dear woman, my time has not yet come. Why why do you involve me? And and, and see, if you read it just on surface level, does that not sound like one of those things that if you did it when you were a child, you'd have got your face slapped? 
I'd just be honest. Dear woman, why are you involving me? I'd be like, Psh. one of the worst things I ever got was just because my mom told me to do something, I wouldn't do it. And then finally she said, if you, do, if you don't do it, you're going to get a spanking. And I went, mm-mm-mm. I got tore up from the floor up. I'm telling you. I got a beating. And the thing about it is, like, I didn't even complete a sentence and I got a beating. That's how good I was. And so he says, my time is not you come. But the way this would translate is, so he's like, he's saying, ma'am, why are you, why are you calling on me in this? Don't you know that my purpose is something different? My purpose is, is, is down the road. And he looks at her and he says, basically, this is not what I came for. And yet then Mary seems to change from going to him as her son to going to him as a Messiah. Many scholars, and there's a lot of people who interpret this differently. I believe it fits really well to look at it this way, that, that, that when Mary begins to change her tone sort of in this, this scripture, what she begins to do is she quits approaching Jesus as her son and begins to see him as something more. And so no longer will it be that he does what he, she asked him to do because he is her son. But from now on, it will be by faith that she approaches him so that he does the works that he does as God's son. Does that make sense? And so there's a shift, there's a transition. And it's also telling us, listen, don't miss this because this is huge. It's also telling us that the way we will approach Jesus and the way we will experience what God tells us in this text is through faith. It's not by coming through some entitlement or some look, I've cleaned myself up mentality. It's by coming in faith and saying, God, just like Mary did, I'm putting this in your hands. She said, just do whatever he tells you to do. Basically, she said, I don't know what the outcome's gonna be, but I'm putting it in your hands. How many of us would be better off if we just put it in God's hands, right? How many of us would be better off if we would just admit our weaknesses instead of trying to hide them? Because the reality of it is, guys, if we will make room for humility in our lives, if we'll make room so that we can come to God and give him our weaknesses, if we'll make room in humility so that we can admit our weaknesses to others, here's the thing that we make room for. We make room for a miracle. That's what happened here. It's in humility, Mary finally says, just do whatever he tells you to do. The Bible says this, it says in verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone waits till the others are drunk. No, that's not what it says. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. Now, this is really significant. This is really the point, And this is the purpose of Jesus's coming, what we're about to see. Um, in verse six, it says nearby stood six stone water jars that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. What do we say the number of set, number seven represented? Perfection. Well, in the Bible, the number six meant imperfection. It meant that something was incomplete. It wasn't yet, had not yet attained perfection. So when we begin to look at this, the first thing we need to see is that something here is imperfect. Something is not complete. The second thing we need to see is that these were stone jars. See, the Jews were, were meticulous, and you're going to see this in a second, meticulous about how they cleanse themselves. Why? Because it was up to them to be clean enough to go to God. It was up to them to be clean enough to be accepted. 
And so when we see this, they were stone jars. Why? Because they were less permeable. They, they, they were less likely to be contaminated than, say, a clay jar. And so they even used stone jars so that it wouldn't be, or they could be, cleaner, right? You see how hard they're working to try to make themselves clean? So we've got imperfection, we've got stone jars that are trying to, they're trying to use to make themselves perfect, and then you've got water in those jars. The water was for their cleansing. You think about it, what did John the Baptist do? He came and baptized with water for cleansing. What did he say though? He says, I baptize you with water, but there will be one who comes who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And this is what they were doing. They were working their lives. The water represents their system, their broken system. But what I see in Christianity, what I see in church is many times we're still working out of this water system, this imperfect system that we're trying to make ourselves clean by observing the rules. The six stone jars with water. And so it's an imperfect system. And so Jesus takes those and he turns the water that's in them into wine. What is the wine? We have this amazing way of looking back and seeing this. But in our faith, what does the wine represent? A good time. No, it doesn't represent a good time. It represents the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. And so what does Jesus do? He takes it and he says, I'm turning this old system into a new system. I'm going to make this system new. I'm going to make a perfect system that will allow you to come perfectly to God because it'll allow you to become perfect, not because you live perfectly, not because you are perfect, but because the perfect one gave his life for you, took your sin upon him, took the punishment that you deserve so that you could have forgiveness and life. And we, we see that this is what's taking place. And we know this even more because the, the, the host says, you've saved the best till now. See, God is revealing another way. He's revealing another system. He's revealing a, a, a way that we can actually come to God, a way that we can actually be cleansed that's not on our own, but is in and through the power of God, not the power of our flesh, of what we can do. And so you go on and you see, this is the first miraculous sign but he's pointing us to something bigger. He's pointing us to something deeper. He's pointing us to something uh, um, better than what they had and what many of us experience today. And he goes on after that. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his, his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a cord, or he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. What's all this about? Like, why did Jesus just like go, you know, psycho Billy Ninja and run people out of the temple? Because see, here's the thing. What they were doing was not the problem. In fact, what they were doing was a convenient thing for people. They were selling animals and exchanging money. Basically, people were coming from all these different places, all these different nations, and they were coming from all these different places to worship. But in order to worship, they needed a sacrifice. And so these people, instead of them having to like drag their family sheep along with them, they just bought it when they got there. 
And so it was a convenience thing. The problem wasn't what they were doing. The money changers were exchanging the money for the proper coin, which was called a Tyrian stator. I think I said Tyrian, right? Or it might be Tyrian. I don't know, but it was a coin. And the thing that they would do is they would get this coin because it was the purest coin, the purest metallic coin that there was. And they would give their temple tax once a year with this coin. And so these people were exchanging money. It was assisting worship. The problem wasn't what they were doing. The problem was where they were doing it. And it says they were doing this in the temple courts. Most scholars will tell you that it was the, the outer courts, which was actually the courts of the Gentiles. So what's the problem here? What's the big deal that they're doing this in the temple courts, in the outer courts of the Gentiles? Why is this a problem? Because they're hindering worship. They're hindering people from being able to come to God. They're being an obstacle to people coming to, 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 to worship. And what had God said about his people from the beginning when he called Abraham? You remember Abraham? Had many sons, many sons. That guy, right? Him. He said that you and your descendants will be a blessing to all people, to all nations. Were they being a blessing to all people in all nations? No, they're being a hindrance. Let me ask you this. The, the, the Bible says, and from Old Testament days, that the temple would be a house of prayer for all nations. Was that what it was serving to be? Absolutely not. So basically, they were, they were the antithesis. They were the opposite of what Jesus came to be. They were representing everything that Jesus came to undo, right? And so this is where we see um, Jesus beginning to reveal the scope of his work. The scope of his work was to cleanse that temple to show that this is a place for all people to come. This is a place where Gentiles, Jews alike should come to worship. And he's saying basically that the cleansing that we talked about in verses one through 11, that first section where he reveals his purpose, the scope of that work is to be all men, all people. It's offered to everyone, including everyone in here today, a cleansing act that comes simply by faith in Christ. So we see the scope, it broadens. Jesus is saying, he who will can come to me. But I wonder sometimes if we're being a catalyst or if we're being a hindrance to people coming to know Christ. Sometimes our indifference, our lack of concern for the spiritual welfare and eternity of others is a problem. Sometimes impatience, it's like we eat our young, but people get, get born again and then it's like, oh, you gotta get, get this Bible, you gotta remember this, you gotta do this, you can't, no, 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 no. And then pretty soon it's like, ah, and they run away, right? Sometimes it's our unwillingness to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. Sometimes it's our unbelief. Well, I don't know if God can save them, right? So I know if God can save me and he can use me, he can use anyone. And so we continue to go and we continue to reach out to them. But in these first two sections, the first section we see Jesus' purpose and then we see the scope of Jesus' work is to bring all nations to himself, is to give everyone an opportunity to say yes to this cleansing work that he desires to do. The last section, he goes on, so he, he goes in, he turns these tables over, he does all these things, and then he says in verse, or says in verse 18, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? So basically, Jesus just went in and blew up the church, basically, right? And then they're like, how can you have authority to do that? What gives you the right? You better show us a sign. You better show us a miracle or else you're in big trouble, buster, right? I don't know if they said that, but could have. 
If your name's Buster, I'm sorry. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So basically, Jesus flips it around and says, here, you want a sign? How about this? Y'all go destroy this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. They're like, that's impossible. You can't do that. But see, here's the thing. One, they don't realize how big God is, that what's impossible with man is possible with God. And number two, Jesus wasn't referring to a physical temple. He was referring to the temple of his body, which would take the place of the physical temple. And so what we begin to see is this cool thing that happens. Jesus' purpose, the cleansing of people, Jesus' scope, that it would be open to, to the world, to anyone who would come in faith to him, now we begin to see the means by which it comes. It's his body. See, no longer would the meeting place of the messiness of humanity and the holiness of God be a place that they go into trying to clean themselves up, um, made out of brick and mortar, made out of stone, made out of uh, rock or gold or whatever you, they made it out of. It would no longer be that place, but the place that the messiness of, of humanity and the holiness of God would connect and would come in contact and where humanity would not be destroyed would no longer be a building, that it would be the body of Jesus Christ. And so that we come together with God in that place. Why his body? Because it was his body that took our sin upon it. It was his body that was bruised and broken. It was his body that took the lashes on it. It was his body that was crucified. It was his blood that was poured out for the cleansing of our sin. And so it is in a person, not in a place, that we have been made righteous. And so we see this. We see the purpose of Jesus in the changing of water to wine. We see in the second section, the scope of Jesus's work to purify all people, anyone who would come to him. We see in this third section that Jesus says, and the means that that's gonna happen is through my own blood. Remember in verse four where he said, my hour's not yet come. He knew that his hour would be the time of cleansing for the sins of humanity. I'm losing my voice. That must mean it's time to hush, right? And so we see this, we begin to recognize this. And in these sections, we see something else take place. There's this huge word, a big word, it's huge to me. Anything over two syllables, pretty big for me. There's this big word in theology called justification. If you look at that first section, basically what you see is the process of justification. You see that Jesus's blood cleanses us and God gives us righteous standing simply by faith alone in Christ. It's a different righteousness than a righteousness we earn or we can attain. And so in that first section, we see this, this process of justification. In the second section, we see a purification and a cleansing of the temple. What we see in that is the process of sanctification. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. In justification, God gives us an identity. He gives us the identity of Christ. In sanctification, we begin to live out that identity. It begins to become part of us. Why? Because the Spirit of God comes in, gives us a new heart, and begins to change us from the inside out. 
And then the third section, we see this. When we see the means, we see that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is his glory. We see that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we see this with Jesus, that it was his glorification. And see, what I want you to see with this justification, sanctification, and glorification is it is a process that every Christian goes through. It's a process that we walk through. It's a process when we say yes to Jesus, we are justified. We are made right. We are, we are given righteousness in Christ. It's a process in sanctification where we become more like Jesus. If you're in Christ today, then listen, you are in that process. You should be growing in the likeness of Jesus. And the promise of God and the thing that keeps us going when we're discouraged, when we're disappointed, when we feel we're in a place of suffering, when we're hurting, when we feel lost, when we feel alone, the thing that keeps us going is we look to Jesus and we see his glorification and we realize that the promise is also for us that one day we too will receive a glorified body, I hope with the abs, and so that we will be made into a perfect person in perfect relationship with God in a perfect place. The Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from every face and there will be no more suffering. So when we're discouraged, what do we do? We look at what Jesus has done for us. When we're discouraged, when we're disappointed, when we wonder, am I going to be able to take another step? We remember that in Jesus, the best is always yet to come. The best is always yet to come. Listen, if you're in Christ, the best is ahead of you, right? Best is always ahead. If you're not in Christ, there'll come a day when the best you'll ever experience is all behind you. But see, for us who are in Jesus, who have faith in him, who've accepted his cleansing, we come to this place where we always know the best is yet to come. Last few weeks have been incredibly stressful <laughs> in a number of ways. You know, we're trying to get into a house that's been somewhat of a disaster since day one. Um, there's just been a lot going on. Building the church building over here, there's just been a lot. Feelings of inadequacy on my part. I'm feeling like many times here I fail. Uh, just many, many things that go on in life, much like you face. And I have to come back to this place and see this isn't just something I told you. I don't just show up because I want to go through the motions. I don't just preach this because it makes a message. I preach it because I do it. I preach it because I believe it. I preach it because I preach it to myself. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has had to tell me over the last few weeks, I'm in this with you. What does that mean? I'm in this with you. With, with, with the house. I'm in this with you, with the building. I'm in this with you in your own feelings of inadequacy and your own struggles, your own identity issues. I'm in this with you, to face it with you, to walk with you through it. And see, it's not because of my circumstances that I know everything's gonna be okay. It's not because everything in my life is perfect that I have hope. I have hope because the God of hope has promised me and his promises never fail that one day the best will have come. Because we know that God gave his best in Christ. That's what I hold to. Because I know right here, even when this begins to get in the way, I know right here that that's the truth. And the spirit within me cries out, Abba, Father. And we have a daddy who will never leave us and he will always take care of us. Who will hold us by our hand and walk us into glory with him. That's our God. 
I'll close with this, 12.15. Last three verses. Now, while I was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man. I read verse 25 this week and it hit me like a ton of bricks. He knew what was in a man. It hit me like a ton of bricks because I know what's in this man. I was on the way to work this morning, to work into the office. And I saw a guy crossing the street. He looked kind of lonely. So I waved at him, like big wave, cheesing. Right in his day, right? He just looked at me, kept walking. Didn't even wave back. I ain't gonna tell you what I called him. I wanted to swerve over there and hit him. I was like, I'm trying to be nice and you just gonna blow me off like that? What's up with that? I know what's in me. I know what's there. Jesus knows what's in you. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He knows who you've done it with. He knows what's in your heart right now. He knows what you thought this morning. He knows what you thought last night. He knows what you thought last week, last year, the last decade. For some of y'all, you know, he knows. And yet here's the crazy thing that blew me away. He knows what's in a man and yet he still wants us because he knows that what he's done for us is bigger than our own inadequacies, our own struggles and our own imperfections. And now all he says is, will you come? Will you come? Will you come to me? The one who gives hope, the one who gives a spirit without measure. Will you grab hold of me as I'm grabbing hold of you? Will you let me walk with you? Are we perfect yet? No, but are we being perfected for in Christ? Yes. This is what I want to do. I want to pray for you. Those of you who right now, you, you, you have a place of disappointment, discouragement, a place of where you're lacking hope, a place where maybe you're in a place of suffering or someone you love is in a place of suffering. And I want to pray for you. I just want us to, to pray. So I'm going to ask you, if that's you today, would you stand up and let us pray with you? Let us pray together as the family of God, knowing that the power of God is real. If you're in that place, would you just stand to your feet? I know this is something that we all face. This is something we all deal with. I just want to lift this up in prayer. Today, if you would say yes to Jesus for the first time, and say yes by faith, I want to put my faith in Christ. Would you do this for me? Would you just stick your hand way up in the air so we can see it? we can celebrate this with you never come to faith in Jesus but today you say yes to his invitation of relationship you say yes to his forgiveness of sin would you put your hand in the air and let us celebrate that with you today amen praise God amen anybody else today you know that the Lord's speaking to your heart and you just say yes yes to him and a relationship with him would you just 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 raise your hand amen well let's pray God thank you for your love for us Lord please send the power of your spirit 
into our lives. Refresh, God. Refresh in us in your spirit. And I pray that it would be, as John 7 says, that rivers of living water would flow out of us, reviving us. It's almost like I feel like there's a lot of people here today who are just kind of walking through life. It seems like one day just turns into the next and it just seems like there's always a wall or a black cloud around you. And I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes on Christ, look up. Don't let the weight of shame hold your eyes down. Feel as though Jesus would be lifting up your eyes, lifting up your head. So you can see the, the bright and morning sun, Jesus himself, calling you. For he loves you. He loves you. God, I pray that that great hope in Christ would sink into all of our hearts and that we would hold to that in moments of disappointment, discouragement, suffering, fear. God, we walk in that, the power of your love. As we leave this place, thank you that you go with us, that you're in us, to strengthen and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen.